0: I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right. I am your host, Kurt Sandvig. So sorry I was MIA for a few days, and I'm sure a lot of you thought that I was abducted by aliens or dead or something, and none of you checked on me, so thanks for that. But actually, no, I was following one of my favorite bands in the world, They Might Be Giants. Now, I've been seeing They Might Be Giants since 1986. Not gonna go too much into this, but I've been seeing them since 1986. I've seen them over a hundred times. And well, they they came to town. They came to Los Angeles. So, saw them in Los Angeles on Conan. Then I saw him in Los. A- then I saw him in San Diego. Then I saw him in Los Angeles. Then I saw him in San Francisco. So it was a very very busy weekend and a very busy week leading up to it. But I am back and fear not. I have some great episodes coming up, and a great episode for you right now. So let's get back into this on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac. I promise not to try and debunk too much stuff because you guys seem to get really angry when I debunk all these things. But instead, let's focus on UFOs. But I'm going to get way more specific than that because on this one, on this edition, it's all about UFO crashes. Some of these you probably have heard, but hopefully a couple of these you've never heard of. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of skeptics say that If UFOs can travel millions of miles through space, why would they crash when they get to Earth? Which, I'm sorry, is just a stupid argument because just look at how much stuff we've sent up into space only to have it malfunction or crash into Mars. So, crap happens. People go on trips all the time and get in accidents. That's what happens with UFOs as well. Sometimes it's us taking them down, sometimes it's electrical storms taking them down, Sometimes we don't know what took them down. But what is a little surprising to me is just how many UFO crash stories there are out there, and they come from around the world. And not only that, but many of them seem to have a little bit of evidence, or a lot of evidence, to prove that something odd did happen. So let's start in South Africa in the late 1980s. On May 7, 1989 to be precise, an unknown craft entered South African airspace and was ultimately shot down by intercepting South African Mirage fighter jets, and this was between the border of South Africa and Botswana. The UFO crashed into the Kalahari Desert right near the border with Botswana, and it became known as the Kalahari Incident. The South African military was scrambled to the crash site and quickly retrieved the craft, noting how their electrical equipment faltered as they got near the UFO. But they did manage to get near it, and they did manage to recover it. And once the saucer-shaped UFO was recovered, the military noticed that the area of the crash featured sand and rock fused together into glass due to the intense temperatures of the UFO's crash. Now, they covered it over with fresh sand and dirt to try and hide any disturbances, but there's rumors online that you can still find evidence of this glass if you can find the crash site. Now, I have no plans to go to the Kalahari Desert, so one of you faithful listeners are going to have to do that for me. A joint operation between the South African Air Force and the United States Air Force was mounted because of this crash. The operation was dubbed Operation Silver Diamond, and its aim was to recover the occupants and the debris resulting from the crash. Now, you heard that right. It wasn't just the UFO. They actually found alien bodies in there. According to leaked papers, two alien crew members were discovered inside the craft once the retrieval team forced open a hatch on the shiny, saucer-shaped UFO. Both of these extraterrestrials were still alive, according to the reports, and each one wore a tight one-piece suit and matched the Gray's description exactly. Rumor also has it that the United States would trade the South African government nuclear technology in exchange for the crashed UFO. But... Take that one with a grain of salt, because there's not a lot... In fact, there's no evidence to prove that actually happened. There's just a few websites that keep reporting on that one. So take that with a grain of salt. And another source claimed that a third alien being was withheld by the South African government that was unknown to the Americans. According to this source online, that being was taken to Camp 13, which is an apparent top-secret base near the Kalahari Desert. Again... Take that one with a grain of salt, too, because a lot of people have searched Google Earth for this supposed Camp 13 and couldn't find it. Now, with as much speculation that's in this story, this one does have some documentation that something indeed crashed in the Kalahari Desert, and the U.S. Air Force did work with the South African government to retrieve whatever it was. But after this, though, it goes deep into speculation. So that was about all I could get on this one but it's still a very interesting and not well-known story. The next one I added just because of the title alone, and it's The Scandinavian Ghost Rocket Wave of 1946. See, isn't that a cool title? Scandinavian Ghost Rocket Wave of 1946. You're not going to be amazed by this one, but I had to add it. And this one happened between July and October of 1946. Dozens and dozens of observers in and around the countries of Northern Germany, Denmark, Sweden, and Norway, all of them had witnesses that reported what could be best described as rocket ships that are similar to German V-2s. And these rocket ships were expelling tons of flames and tons of smoke from the rear, flying in and around the skies of Scandinavia. Now, in some cases, these objects were said to have crashed in or sometimes around the vicinity of these observers— And I'm talking like deep fjords and the sea and woods. They were everywhere. These things were falling out of the sky. American and British observers were sent to the area to investigate these reports, but they never saw this phenomena happening. They never saw the rockets. So they just went back home and said, must be mistaken fjord people. However, though, many people have theorized that the Soviet Union may have been conducting secret rocket tests in the area. Witnesses claim that they observed these strange crafts crash into the ground and the surrounding waters at least four separate places in Sweden and one place in Norway. But with all of these crashes and all of these sightings, no crash remains have ever been found in any of these areas. Now, if you go a little bit deeper in the story online... It does appear that somewhere in 2011, there are reports that surface that say that anomalous submerged objects have been found in these exact same waters off of Sweden. It's between Finland and Sweden, it's in the Baltic Sea, and no one knows what these rocket-like shapes that they've been finding are. So I have a feeling that very soon, that was 2011, I am sure that there must be divers out there that have seen these rockets or those little remote submarines or somebody must be going over there trying to get these things up off the ocean floor to find out who was shooting rockets in these areas in the late 1940s. So I agree with the Russian rocket testing theory. The timeline adds up with the whole capturing Nazi scientists and everybody was testing rockets at this time. So it's not a big stretch to think that that's the cause of these strange, technically UFO sightings. So even though it's not the UFO that we're all thinking of with aliens, this one is still a crashed UFO story. So from there, let's move on to Utah in 1958. And this one is a little odd because it doesn't really say when the UFO crash happened. Now, some sites claim this all happened in 1958, but nowhere can I find anyone specifically witnessing the crash or seeing a UFO or anything even like that. So let's get to the story. This one comes from the supposed government files released as part of the Sirius Disclosure Project. And that's Sirius as in the star, S-I-R-I-U-S. The Serious Disclosure Project. Which, I'll be honest, I didn't know a lot about It has a fancy website with way too much information on it. And I don't know if it's legit or not, but I do know that it's way too new age type of a website for me to take it really seriously. So this one, again, kind of take with a grain of salt, but I'm not trying to debunk anything. You come up with your own conclusions about this. This one is on you guys. So anyhow, the documents from the Serious Disclosure Project state that a downed UFO was found in a nonspecific location somewhere in the deserts of Utah and was recovered successfully by a U.S. military unit in 1958. Now, when they got to this UFO, it had been there for a little while and was completely empty. I'm talking no alien bodies were found in or around the UFO. There was no footprints. There's no nothing to indicate that there were anyone in this UFO. And again, there isn't a lot known about this one either, But the files from the time period do say that it was, quote, a technological marvel and had been analyzed by the, quote, best aerospace scientists available. They also mention in these files that it was a, quote, alien object and it was a goal to be realized. And they did obtain a, quote, large volume of technological data from this specific recovery. Now, what that data is, it doesn't really say And honestly, it doesn't give a lot of details outside this. So again, this one seems to have some evidence to prove that something was found, but there's not a lot of evidence there for me personally. And this next one is definitely odd for a number of obvious reasons once I tell you about it. You got to wait till I tell you it. And it happened in Gdynia in 1959. Where? That's right. I said Gdynia. And if you don't know where it is, I don't blame you because I had to look it up too. So let me tell you about that. Gdynia is in the Cold War era Poland on the south coast of the Baltic Sea. It was a peaceful, booming seaside town that got hit pretty damn hard in the Second World War. But the story I'm about to tell you happened in 1959 when a, quote, strange, radiant object was seen falling to Earth by several witnesses, and it sank into the dark waters of that harbor. And guess what it's now known as online? If you said the Poland Roswell, well, then you're the big winner of what I don't know because it's pretty apparent because I keep repeating this all the time on all these UFO episodes. It's always the Poland Roswell, the Pennsylvania Roswell. You know that. You know that whole spiel. Anyhow, so... Back to this story. This is definitely the true part of the story. Something very large and very bright did crash into the harbor, but from there, though, the legends start like crazy. There are a number of them, so let's get into them. The first legend, and I say legend because details vary greatly from site to site, the Polish Navy went out searching for what had crashed and apparently did discover a piece of wreckage that was, quote, not of this earth. And this was sent for further study, and nothing else was ever found. The area around the harbor was placed under military guard. And this was still the case several days later when, quote, a strange silhouette reportedly dragged itself from the water onto the beach and was lying there exhausted and weakened on the sand of the beach. So, you see why I have doubts about this one? Because the whole, I mean, it's very flowery. Whoever wrote this did a very good job. The strange silhouette and all these specific details with no proof whatsoever. But anyhow, back to the story. According to those reports, the, quote, man did not speak any known language, and he appeared to have suffered severe burns to his face. His body was covered by some kind of uniform. When he was further examined at a local hospital, doctors could not remove the clothing as there were no obvious zippers or fasteners, and the material, while thin and soft to the touch, was as strong as metal. It appears he died shortly after his discovery in the hospital. Okay, so that was tale one. Let's move on to tale two, and tale two says that after the crash, a strange disc was hovering in the sky about Gdynia for quite some time, allegedly looking for the crashed UFO in the harbor. But since it never found any wreckage, let me pause right there, because this one's odd for that very reason alone. So, for days, apparently, a UFO was just floating in the sky above the harbor in 1959, and nobody got a photo of it? There's no footage of it at all? Eh, I don't buy it. But anyhow, so it was searching for the wreckage or the aliens, and since it didn't find them, eventually it took back off into the sky. So that was tale two, just some UFO search rescue party looking for its downed, crashed friends. Tale three says that the U.S. Army personnel tried to get the UFO off of the bottom of the harbor and that the object was allegedly captured by the U.S. military, but they were afraid because it was a barrel with toxic gas from World War II and not the UFO they were looking for. Now, while I believe that there probably are barrels of toxic gas from World War II somewhere in the harbor, sadly, I don't believe that that's what they found when trying to recover a crashed UFO in Gdynia. Tale 4? Now with more weird alien details. This time, it was the Coast Guard that found the body on the beach several days after the crash. The being was allegedly conscious, but then was taken to military facilities where it fell into a coma after they took a mysterious band from its arm. So the only thing keeping this thing alive was a mysterious wristband, and when they took it off, it went into a coma. And it's also said that the alien had six fingers on each hand. This tale says that the fate of the alleged six-finger alien is that it was transported to the Soviet Union and never seen again. So those were all of the tales from Gdynia. Again, something definitely crashed. People witnessed it go into the harbor. It was described as a bright, radiant object. So I guess technically it could have been a meteorite, and we may never know. You think someone would scour that harbor looking for what fell from the sky? The next one on this episode is the newest one on the list, and this is from this past month. A group who call themselves, quote, alien hunters, have claimed a UFO crash-landed in Antarctica, and they have proof from Google Earth. Using Google Earth, someone with a lot of time on their hands, and I'm not going to tell you who because, frankly, they don't need the publicity, but someone with a lot of time on their hands found what... I admit, is an odd anomaly in Antarctica on Google Earth. It does look like something hit the ground and left a long crash trail behind it. And yeah, it does look cigar-shaped. But, I am not willing to say it's a crashed UFO. It's an interesting find, sure, but I'm sure it's just some natural phenomena, like an avalanche or something like that. But it did come up in my news alert as a UFO that crashed in Antarctica and can be seen on Google Earth. So, I wanted to add this breaking news UFO probably non-event. So, make sure you go to Paranormal Almanac on Facebook, and I'll add the picture. Um, Because, frankly, I just love it when Google Earth finds weird things. Like I said, it says UFO in the article story. I'm not saying it was a UFO, because I don't want to debunk things on this episode. But, it's not a UFO. Anyhow, so... From this year, let's travel all the way back to May 2nd, 1897. And this story comes from the issue of the Houston Daily Post, who told a story from a Dutch sailor aboard the Brig Christine while on a voyage in the Indian Ocean. According to the sailor, the ship hit a storm and the sailors were forced to find safety on a small island that didn't have any plant life. While on this island, the survivors spotted an airship that plummeted from the sky and crashed into a cliff. The ship sported four huge wings and was as large as a battleship. Upon investigation, the bodies of several large, and I mean large, they're talking 12-feet-tall men, were found in strange clothes and sporting silky beards with the skin the color of bronze. Several men were reported to have gone mad from the incident alone, and only a few men, who were rescued by a Russian trawler, were even able to survive the voyage back to civilization to report this incident. Now, I'm not saying that happened. I'm not saying it didn't. But the reason I added this is, and it's kind of odd, that airships were spotted all over in the 1880s and 1890s. And I mean all around the world. And many ufologists believe that these are more proof of UFOs being spotted at that time. Now, obviously, we would have called them UFOs, but in the 1880s and 1890s, what they called them were airships. Mystery airships. And the typical airship reports involved nighttime sightings of unidentified lights. There wasn't a lot in the skies in the 1880s that could be making those lights. So, what was that? I don't know. Reports and accounts in newspapers of similar airships came from other areas, generally moving eastward across the country. Now, the theory is that... Someone would read a newspaper in California. Another newspaper would make a similar story in the Southwest, which would make another story in the middle in the country and so on and so on and so on. And it does seem like a lot of the stories took a lot of the same details and then just embellished them. But what is odd is that some accounts during this wave of airship reports claim that occupants were visible from some of the airships and even some encounters with the, quote, pilots of these mystery airships. Now, the occupants of these airships were often appeared to be human, though their behavior, their mannerisms, their clothing were all reported to be unusual. So take that one from what you will. I'm sure it's an embellished story, but it does seem like some of these airship stories do have a kernel of truth. So again, I wanted to add it to this list. Next up is from Missouri in 1941. And this one came to light when a woman named Charlotte Mann received a deathbed confession from her grandma. Now, her grandmother told a story that she got personally from her grandfather, who had passed away earlier, but not before he confessed to the grandma the following story. That seemed kind of confusing. Was that clear? All right, so this woman, Charlotte Mann... Received a deathbed confession from her grandma, who had received the same deathbed confession from the grandfather who had died previously. All right, we're good? So, this all came from Charlotte Mann's grandfather, and his name was Reverend William Huffman. And he was a pastor of the Red Star Baptist Church outside of Cape Girardeau, Missouri, in 1941. And he claimed that he was summoned to pray over crash victims just outside that town. Now, Huffman was driven to the woods outside of town, which he recalls as being about a 10 to 15 mile trip. When they arrived, it was packed with policemen, firemen, FBI agents, photographers, any kind of emergency responder that you can think of in 1941. Now, all of the emergency crews were all viewing what appeared to be a crash site, but it was no plane that Reverend Huffman saw. And, as you should have guessed by now, it was a UFO crash site. Huffman was shocked when he was looking at a disc-shaped object. Now, he quickly took a look inside as they were walking by and noticed what appeared to be hieroglyphic-like writings. And I'm sure this should sound very familiar to you. Roswell, numerous crash sites have these strange hieroglyphic-like writings on them. But he was rushed past the UFO by the police officers and asked to walk over and pray over these dead bodies nearby. And as the Reverend put it, these were strange bodies, not humans as he expected, but small, alien-looking bodies with large heads, big eyes, only a hint of mouth or ears, and totally without hair. Sounds like the greys to me. Now, Reverend Huffman was sworn to secrecy by the military personnel after performing his Christian duties. And there is supposed proof of this crash. There is a photograph of one dead alien being being held up by two men as they posed with it for the shot. In Charlotte's words, she says, quote, I saw the picture originally from my dad, who had gotten it from my grandfather, who was a Baptist minister in Cape Garrado, Missouri, in the spring of 1941. I saw the picture and asked my grandmother at a later time when she was at home fatally ill with cancer. So we had a frank discussion. And she said that the grandfather was called out in the spring of 1941 in the evening around 9 to 9.30 p.m. that someone had been called out to a plane crash outside of town. So that's Charlotte's word about the photo. The only problem is, though, I've Googled and Googled for this photo. And the only thing I can find is a picture that looks to me like it's a reenactment of the photo from a 1990s TV show that Charlotte appeared on. It doesn't appear to me to be the actual photo, so I won't bother putting that one up. And if you do Google it, don't go, oh, I found the photo, because again, everything I can find leads me to believe that that is a reenactment photo. But the proof isn't just Charlotte's word. There were also fire department records for that date of the crash that mentions the crash and other living supporting witnesses, including Charlotte's sister, who confirmed her story in a notarized sworn affidavit that she heard it as well. And the living brother of the Cape Girardeau County Sheriff from 1941, Clarence R. Shade. And he does remember hearing the account of the crash, but he does not have many details, unfortunately. He recalls hearing, though, quote, and this is the most important part, of a spaceship with little people. So there are some witnesses to this story and their actual fire department records from that time that corroborate her story. So this one seems very interesting to me, and I wish I could find that photograph that Charlotte was talking about. Okay, one more story for this edition. And this one is too good, so let's just jump right into it. This story just came out, and apparently for 60 years, pieces of a crashed UFO have sat in a London Science Museum's archive, waiting to be rediscovered. And they finally were... This very year. So for 60 years, crashed UFO pieces have just been sitting in a museum's archive. Now, the UFO crashed in the Silpho Moor near Scarsborough, North Yorkshire in 1957. So obviously in the UK. Now, if you're saying, why have I never heard of this? Well, it wasn't a big crash like Roswell but only because the UFO, which was disc-shaped, was only 16 inches in diameter and weighed 22 pounds. You heard that right. This story is about a mini-UFO. It was inscribed with hieroglyphics, just like the big ones, and it was reported to be similar to the wreckage found at Roswell, New Mexico, in June of 1947. So just 10 years after Roswell, a mini-UFO, a cute mini-UFO, same shape, same hieroglyphs, crashes in the UK. Now, when the UFO was cut open, why was it cut open? I don't know, but someone cut it open. A book made of 17 thin copper sheets was found inside, with each sheet covered in more hieroglyphics. Local cafe owner, Philip Longbottom, claimed the hieroglyphs translated into a 2,000-word message sent by an alien called Ulo U-L-L-O, which contained a warning of, quote, you will improve or disappear, and this seems legit because uh, local cafe owners in the 50s in North Yorkshire they are known for decrypting alien hieroglyphics. So I'm gonna say red flag, and not just any red flag. How about a 16 inch in diameter and a 22 pound red flag on this one? But back to the story again. I don't want to debunk anything. You guys make up your own mind on this one. So back to the story. Where, where did I leave off? I, uh, they found the 16-inch diameter UFO. The local cafe owner translated the 2,000-word message sent by an alien called Ulo with the warning of, you will improve or disappear. Okay, so the remains were sent to the Natural History Museum in London, where experts concluded it was probably an elaborate hoax as there was no evidence the metal had come from elsewhere in the solar system nor had it suffered any high temperatures of entering the Earth's atmosphere. So this is not me debunking it. That's science. But Air Chief Marshal, Lord Dowding, he continued to believe that the object was extraterrestrial and said he had personally examined it in 1959 and found it, quote, to be a miniature flying saucer. And it is UFO shaped. It looks like the typical flying saucer. And yes, I'll put pictures of it up on Facebook and Instagram. But what bums me out is that the copper book pages are still nowhere to be found. And the grainy pictures make it hard to see what the hieroglyphs look like and what they actually said. So um, I guess if you guys are descendants of a Yorkshire cafe owner, maybe possibly you could read some of the hieroglyphs and tell me what they said. And also surprisingly, is that's the whole story. Go online and look for yourself. This is the entire story on the entire internet. It's a very short but sweet and definitely weird tale. If it's fake, let me just ask you this. Why did someone take the time to create such an elaborate hoax? This thing was detailed, and I mean seriously detailed. It was a great miniature UFO that, if it was faked, that someone built. If it wasn't faked, it's just a great UFO. And it it definitely didn't get the Discoverer's international fame, and the UFO and its story faded away really quickly. So, like I said at the beginning, I won't debunk this one. I'll let you decide for yourself. So it's that time. Is the Silfo UFO real? Was it just a remote UFO that was sent down with a message for us? Because you gotta remember, at that time... We'd been playing with nukes for years, and sadly, we killed millions with two of those nukes. So maybe it was just a remote UFO sent down with a message that they hoped we could decode, saying, knock it off. I mean, you will improve or disappear is a pretty concise message, especially since it was a 2,000-word message on those copper sheets. I'm sure it wasn't a manned tiny UFO, but, you know, a remote one? Sure, who knows? Could be. I know what I think about this Silfo UFO, but I'm curious to see what you guys think. Do you think the Silfo UFO was a real one or just an elaborate hoax? And what do you think about the rest of the stories? Like I said, there were a lot that I hadn't really heard that I had to do a lot of research on and a lot that had some evidence that proved that something happened when these people said they saw a UFO crash or when they found a UFO crash. So that'll just about do it for this edition of Paranormal Almanac. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig. Thank you to everybody that has reached out lately to say hi, to give me story suggestions. I'm getting a lot of them, and I'm loving it. And hopefully it won't be such a long pause between episodes, because I have a lot of great ones for you guys. So thank you again, and please tell your friends and family to listen to Paranormal Almanac. <laughs>